0: Hi, this is Lapsley um, and I'm in the apartment of Frederick Strager and I'm so happy to be on his podcast. I'm in his beautiful music room. We've got um, an incredible stained glass window and the, the light coming through is pretty celestial. So <laughs> it's quite magical.
1: Welcome Lapsley. Or I, I almost said Lopsley.
0: Yeah, that's how it should be. <laughs> you,
1: you put a little circle over the A yeah. in your name. Um, I, I first thought that you were some kind of heavy metal artist like you know, when when metal bands put umlauts over letters in their names, like Motley Crue or yeah. Mo- Motorhead, <laughs> so I just assumed that you were very much into, like that you were the new wave of British heavy metal.
0: Oh, I wish, I wish. <laughs> I'm not that iconic, but yeah, the the name is actually Scottish, and then I added the um yeah the accent
1: to bring forth some kind of Viking vibe.
0: I think so. Yeah, I guess I was 16 and I just wanted to be a lot cooler than I was, and now it's something that has to stick forever.
1: And you're from Southport in North West England.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just above Liverpool.
1: So what what's like what's Southport like as a town?
0: Um it's a little seaside town. Um massive beaches and sand dunes. Um we grew up with a lot of space, a lot of sport. Um it was pretty cold. Not as cold as here, but yeah, it was lovely.
1: And you're from a family of lawyers and doctors apparently.
0: Oh um, Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of the the adults in my family have some pretty hardcore jobs, unlike me, (laughs) 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 doing something creative. I was definitely more academic than I was musical growing up. Um, But I guess (laughs) I was almost being suppressed in a way. And then that came out at 16.
1: So you were really good in school?
0: Yeah, I was quite academic. I actually, I wasn't very good in piano lessons. I played a lot of instruments, but... um, I I guess I preferred composition rather than playing other people's music. I was a bit idle in that way. Um, But yeah, I started producing in my bedroom when I was 16, almost like as a rebellious antidote to the huge amounts of homework and stuff that I did.
1: So which instruments did you play? Oh,
0: I played the oboe and the piano and the classical guitar and the drums. All of them not very well.
1: What was the first music that you liked?
0: Oh, the first music. Um, I guess it would be the music that my parents played in the car. Um, We used to travel between different cities to see family. And um, there was Fleetwood Mac records and REM records that were just constantly playing all the time. Um, I remember singing Babylon by David Gray when I was like five years old with my dad.
1: And since you were so academic, what kind of career did your parents hope that you would pursue?
0: Um for a long time I wanted to be a doctor so that ad- that added a lot of pressure and I guess I started to cut down a lot of the more creative things that I did in my life in order to try and achieve that. And then um when I got a bit older I wanted to do um physical geography and hopefully go down into the more um glaciology climate change
1: okay to help prevent climate change.
0: Yeah that yeah my dad's in in He's, a, he's an engineer and works in that field so it was always something which we were completely surrounded by that well, what, do you, what does he do your dad um he's a like a fluvial engineer so he does all the um advises lots of countries around the world on their flood schemes and water um but he's one of the uh, world leaders for sustainable development so we we, <laughs> we got the news and, and and the facts pretty pretty early on
1: so how did your parents try to convince you not to become a pop singer
0: um once you get to the age of 16 it's very hard for them to convince you to do anything and um i think they saw how how happy it was making me and i had such an opportunity um when i was 17 to to sign a record deal and i guess i thought that i could always go back to university but this is something that maybe would never come along again
1: you're just 22
0: years old right 23 now 23 yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> very old. Um, but um, this is so integral to my like my mental health and my self-expression that I can't think of not doing this now.
1: Music or education? Music. Music, okay.
0: Because
1: yeah. you, you seem to have a very deep thirst for knowledge.
0: Yeah, but I think that you can exercise that in, in different ways. So the first track is Silver by Caribou from his record Arlov. And and yeah. 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 Who's Caribou? Um, Caribou is a um, producer and, and an artist who makes electronic music, and I've been a massive fan of him since I was about sixteen and this is one of the i saw him perform this record at he was headlining Liverpool International Music Festival um, when i was a teenager and it just completely blew my mind to see electronic music performed live in such a way but i still reference this this whole record all the time it's one of my favorite records of the past 10 years
1: beautiful I I read somewhere that he's a doctor in mathematics
0: oh is he yeah
1: (laughs) he's from Canada but he moved to London to study mathematics
0: oh amazing that's such a cool fact thanks for that
1: (laughs) maybe that's a good skill to have if you want to produce electronic music
0: oh yeah definitely
1: electronic music like dance music seems to have had a quite an impact on you
0: yeah um i used to go to like sneak out the house and go to raves from about the age of 14 i was obsessed um with the rave culture and electronic music. And I guess it was a kind of a way to, escape. it was such a different world to the world of school and small town life. And um, I just remember like the heaviness of like um, a function one system, just like echoing through these massive um, warehouses in Liverpool. And I was hooked and I used to help run a disco night called Polka polka which yeah <laughs> which is cool um but yeah I was pr- pretty naughty
1: but h- how did you manage to sneak out
0: I used to wait till they've all gone to sleep go down and get the last train into Liverpool and then get the first train back in the morning
1: and they didn't suspect anything
0: no they didn't suspect anything I guess I seemed to be able to balance all the plates at that time and still manage to get my work done I just looked incredibly tired for quite a few years
1: so what did you say when people asked you why you looked so tired? Um, been up studying. Homework, homework, homework.
0: <laughs> studying, yeah.
1: What, what do you remember from the, those first raves?
0: I guess I was just being exposed to like a completely different type of music. Um, I really liked a lot of ambient music, but I it was seeing um, quite heavy electronic music and house and techno live that really got me hooked. I guess there was a lot of it was the culture, but like, It was really interesting seeing the DJs and their song selection and the way that they'd interact with the crowd and change the set and move with the people. Um, I thought that um, relationship between um, the DJ and the crowd was like really um, symbiotic.
1: Here's a track that I know made a big impression on you it's from 2013 uh, Bodica and Joy Orbison's Mercy
0: yeah um, there's a video of me I think it's on Facebook or on my computer somewhere of um when I was sixteen at New Year's Eve, um, watching Bodica drop this track. And it I think it dropped at midnight. They'd like aligned it. Um, but that was like a an out of body experience. The big, the big <laughs> drop
1: was at midnight.
0: Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um that was incredible. <laughs>
1: That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
1: Electronic music uh, with, uh, you know, for someone who used to, like, classical piano music, this is really a whole different ballpark.
0: Yeah, um, I definitely um, have more of an affinity towards more minimal music, I'd say.
1: Still, when you started to compose yourself, it became more subtle, more, you know, you haven't really done tracks as violent as this one.
0: I guess it's always interesting, the, the music that you listen to and then the music that you make, and... I don't necessarily listen to a lot of music, which would probably be classed as the same genre that I make, but I have influences from such extreme, from like minimal techno to then, you know, piano music and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite diverse.
1: You were the captain of the hockey team in Southport in, in your school.
0: Yeah, I love sport. Are you good at hockey? I mean, I was, yeah.
1: <laughs> so what position did you play?
0: Um, left defense. Yeah, I was like a brick wall. <laughs> Nobody could get past me.
1: Wow. Yeah. Did you get in, in, into any fights on, on the ice?
0: Uh, it wasn't on ice. It was field hockey. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: so you're not allowed to punch people.
0: Not allowed to punch people, but it's a very fast-paced, um, quite dangerous game, <laughs> especially with a group of like really hormonal teenage girls just like screaming. <laughs> Did you get hurt? Um, no, I saw a lot of people get hurt broken bones and teeth knocked out and stuff
1: teeth knocked out
0: yeah but now it's as soon as I, I i left hockey and um you know continued with music and moved to london um they introduced masks for a short corner which they never had when i was younger so it's a lot it feels like there's a lot more safety things put in place
1: <laughs> masks for, for field hockey
0: yeah for on, on a short corner so when you're running out um from behind the goal it's basically like a penalty um You have protection over your face which they never used to have
1: did you have a fake id to get into clubs
0: um no i didn't i just got in
1: because 14 is you know quite young for
0: yeah i think it's a mixture of like me looking a lot older and doormen not really caring and then also i kind of i got to know the people who ran the scene and so my passion was for the music, not necessarily, like, the rave scene in terms of, like, drugs and alcohol. So I'd always just, like, go straight to the front and just be obsessed. <laughs> yeah.
1: But you were born in 1997. I just assumed that... 96. Be, no, it was 96. Yeah. Actually, I, I just assumed that your parents must have been around for the two summers of love in the late 80s and been to a lot of raves as well. Or,
0: I don't know, Yeah, My so my parents... Um, their era was my dad was like the Smiths and um, so all in the, the northern um, bands like he's obsessed with Johnny Marr and um, the Clash and the Cure and then my mum is more um, she's obsessed with Kate Bush and Joni Mitchell so they're true like they were students in the eighties.
1: I remember feeling a bit confused when I heard your first songs Station, mm-hmm. your your first single because I I I thought that. Lapsley was a duo with uh, one male member and one female member singing a duet but it was actually you uh, uh. adjusting your voice and pitching it down How did you come up with that idea
0: I guess there's a few different influences like in a lot of like heavy electronic music when they do use vocal samples especially you know they either turn the formant up or down so there's a, there's that reference and then also, I was listening to a lot of, like, Kanye and James Blake. And then I also didn't really like the limitation of just having my voice. I quite like being able to show different viewpoints or maybe, like, another side of um, almost like a devil's advocate, like me talking to myself. And I think that when you manipulate vocals in that way, you can, you can bring more people to the table in that sense. Hello.
1: Drown me It creates this kind of androgynous quality as well where you can't really tell if the person singing is, is a male or a female. Yeah. And it, it sort of makes me think of uh, Anthony and the Johnsons. Yeah. You wanted to play a track by him or, or her? As,
0: yeah, by her. Um, uh, yeah, this record has um, inspired me so much. Um, it's produced with Hudson uh, and Mohawk and Honor Trick's Point Never some of my favourite producers the album's called Hopelessness and I'm going to play the main single which is Drone Bomb Me by Anoni. I wanna die I wanna be the apple of your eye
1: so drone bomb me From the, into the sea. Blow me from the side of the Blow my head
0: off.
1: She kind of sounds like Nina Simone.
0: Yeah. there's like um such a deep emotion, emotional like it's almost like a cry this this track. The whole record is almost like um, a cry. Uh, I, I love this—the lyrics, particularly in this song, because she is embodying um, so many people in difficult situations in the world. It's almost like she's speaking on behalf of them.
1: And it's about droners dropping bombs on people, but it takes on this emotional quality where the bombs are like love or something, or kisses in a way.
0: Oh, it's yeah. Well, I, I, guess, well, you I guess you could
1: interpret it. That yeah. Way.
0: Oh, I saw it as. Um, bringing an element of like humanity because often we see people on the tv and you know especially in war situations that it's almost like there's an otherness like you know you can't see them as similar to the person who you know you walk down the street with because it's so far away i think it well
1: that's the point with the drones they kind of disconnect yeah the the, the person who's doing the killing it's yeah, you know, it becomes like a computer game or something for the pe- person controlling the drone.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's such a clever Choose record. Me. Blood. Choose blood. Choose me me. Are
1: those Hebrew letters on your arm up there?
0: Oh yeah, is yeah. it
1: a Hebrew tattoo? What, what does it
0: say? It says Teshuva. It's kind of it's from a story that um, essentially means to return to go home. I spent a lot of time on tour. <laughs> so
1: what story was that?
0: I'm trying to remember now. I got this like 4 years ago. Um I think it was Jacob and Sons and the Returning Sons. Yeah, I'm going to have to do my research on that one. And,
1: and you were out on on tour and you were homesick?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was on tour from from 18 to 20.
1: How did that feel like, you know, how how, how did you react to it? Cuz lots of people, you know, when they find themselves in in a situation like that they will break down or turn to drugs or whatever
0: Well I had to take a year off after that because I had mental health issues and needed a break I guess how I I like to talk about it is um, most people go to university and they live their formative years there you know, drinking trying drugs, sleeping with the wrong people, just learning who you are as an adult and then when you're doing that under the watchful eye of everyone who you work with who are a lot older than you there's it's quite hard to figure out who you are because you're expected to almost be something and know yourself already um so after that even though I got to travel around the world which is incredible um after that I needed some some time to get to know me so I moved back up north for a while
1: how did your mental health
0: i knew something was wrong because i wasn't able to write and it's such an intrinsic part of of me and my happiness that if i can't sit at a piano and talk about what's on on my mind i know something's wrong
1: some of your songs seem to like deal with mental health as well
0: yeah i think this record talks about it quite a bit
1: (laughs) and you you've also talked a lot about you know like how, how the expectations of the music industry can make you physically ill
0: Yeah I also think that that's also my personality to to want to almost not be a failure in anything there's a lot of pressure that I think started when I was in high school for you know wanting to be the best at something and I think you realize that when you do something creative it's it's not about being the best it's about Um, expressing yourself in in the most true, true way and pushing yourself creatively, not necessarily comparing yourself to other people. In that year that I took some time off, I volunteered a lot and I trained as a doula. So I helped young women give birth and I gave antenatal classes and um, I mentored a, a 10 year old boy in a really difficult area in Manchester. I guess the perfect antidote to this, like, inward-facing career is to just put yourself out there and help other people. I feel like that gave me a lot more perspective and and a a grounded base for me to then write the next record.
1: So you worked as a doula?
0: Yeah. Well, I I only did it for a year because then I couldn't promise to help people on any more births once I went back into music. But, yeah.
1: Uh, How do you help someone giving birth?
0: Um, So doula is, um, the translation means like female slave, um, but it basically means that you... Slave. Well, that's what the direct translation, I think it's Greek, um, but what it means is like support. It's an old fashioned notion of um, supporting the, um, yeah, the woman from like a, almost like a non-medical point of view, so... Um, and also supporting the father often. That's what a lot of the work was, was in. Um, but my favorite thing was the antenatal education. I love teaching.
1: We actually had a doula when my son was born. Oh, amazing. Uh, it was, you know, very helpful. She was like a coach.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Really like a birth coach.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting thing to do.
1: <laughs> so how many births did you assist?
0: Two. I did a lot more teaching. It's a lot to commit to a birth. Especially um, because you don't ever want to let a woman down. So in the end, I had to say, well, I can't commit to to being there for someone's birth. So I'm just going to carry on teaching.
1: Also, you have to wait around and suddenly, you know, she's giving birth and you have to run there.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly.
1: Speaking of giving birth, here's a song that you've played live a few times. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This woman's
0: work. This woman's
1: This woman's work by Kate Bush.
0: It gives me tingles when I hear that track.
1: I get goosebumps too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's such a yeah, such an incredible track. Yeah, it's about you know the making of you know the not the making but the the beginning of like a new world of being a parent. but I also um, think that that song is, um, gives me a lot of strength and I apply it to not necessarily something being maternal, but to enter a new section of your life.
1: So do you still sing it live?
0: Um, to be fair, like I, I've just done um, a really small tour a few weeks ago and that's the first time I've played in three and a half years. Um, I didn't play that that cover. I felt like... That represented such a specific time, when I was 19 touring the last record, that's when I played it. Um, I think I'd probably do a different cover going into the next tour.
1: So at that point, did uh, this woman's work mean more struggling on tour and being stressed out?
0: Yeah, I guess it was almost aspirational, like there was part of me that wanted to have this restart, but I was stuck in this quite difficult place. Um, and the song reminded me of my of my moment as well.
1: But how much pressure did you feel when you went on tour with the last album?
0: I think just you just want to know you're doing the right thing. I think it's only when I went on this tour a few weeks ago did I realize everything that was wrong with the tours in the past. And I think it was to do with my confidence and my self-esteem. And in a way, I feel like only now... Because it was too low or... Yeah, massively. No. I was like an an awkward, chubby teenager who who didn't have any confidence, and and as like a woman performing now, only now do I realise the difference it makes in that in that self belief. So I feel like in a way, from this year onwards, this is the start of my career as a performer.
1: I can imagine that you would feel some kind of you know unnecessary pressure if people came up to you and told you that you were the new Adele the whole time. Like people did to you.
0: Yeah, there's a few things that really annoyed me, I guess. That didn't annoy me. But I i guess if you listen to my music, you'd know that it wasn't in that genre. And so I don't really, I think it's quite a cheap comparison. Yeah, it's, used, so,
1: it's only because she's on the same label, Excel. I
0: yeah, I think that's even worse. It just looks like nobody. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not angry about it. I just, I just don't understand it. Well, um, she likes
1: your music, obviously.
0: Oh, yeah, I love Vidal's music. Yeah. And she cool. likes yours. Yeah, Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, it's such an amazing thing.
1: You know, if one were to compare you to someone else on XL Recordings, I would more think of the XX.
0: Oh yeah, I love their music. (laughs) I think all the artists on the label are so unique to each other. Such amazing, distinct personalities that I think almost the reason why we were all signed is because we're all so different to each other. And, you know, it's a label that really believes in, like, a true artist at the core.
1: It's also the label that kind of launched dance music as a huge thing thanks to The Prodigy.
0: Yeah, yeah. The history is incredible.
1: Speaking of uh, famous fans of yours, I know that Billie Eilish mentioned that Station was one of the tracks that really, you know, yeah. m- made her and her brother step up their songwriting. She was really inspired by it.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I was in Beats 1 the other day and they played me the, the section of the interview where she talks about it. And I'd never, I'd seen a transcript, but I'd never... Heard her talk about it and um, it influenced her track called Ocean Eyes, which was one of the first songs that she released. So, yeah, that was was huge. This is Saint Claude, the French version from Christine McQueen's album Chaleur (laughs) Humaine.
1: And who are they, Christine and the Queens?
0: Um, Christine um, now goes under the name Chris, I think, and um, she moved to London um, quite early on in her career and the Queens were a group of queer individuals, I think there were some drag queens involved who supported her through her um, like living in a different city and um, gave her the confidence to start a career in music um, I love this s- song specifically because there's a line that goes um, I think it's like here's my station and if you stay just one more night I'll stay with you um, but like here's my station is in like here I stand and even in the French version she says that in English and it's just quite a poignant line which I really have an affinity to yeah. what does it mean to you? As in like here I stand, this is me. I'm yeah, I'm not gonna change for you, but you know, it for me it says autonomy in a relationship.
1: Have you seen her alive?
0: No, that's like On my bucket list. (laughs) What's
1: the best concert you've been to?
0: The first gig I ever went to was Kate Nash, Made of Bricks. I was 13 years old and it was at Manchester Apollo and my parents took me and I was so blown away by this young woman just at home on the piano, just completely losing herself in the performance. And that record is still very special to me. It's like a turning point into my teenage years.
1: Did you have any idols like as a kid?
0: Yeah, I was really obsessed with James Blake from like the age of like 14. And same with Bon Iver. I was never really into, um, I was a bit too young for the Spice Girls. And I wasn't really into a lot of pop stuff. But I was obsessed with Radio 1 and used to know all of the songs on. I used to listen to the chart show every week. So I was always aware, and I'm still always on like New Music Friday. I'm always aware of the new music that comes out. But in terms of like obsessed level, like it was more in the in the indie electronic scene.
1: <laughs> so you had good musical taste from the start. I, I get so envious of people who had that.
0: Um, I guess, I guess that was I was obs- I was just obsessed with music, and I, I had Spotify since the age of thirteen. So I used to m- constantly make playlists. And listen to music and send them to people in my class. And I was, again, I guess I was a nerd at music as well as other subjects.
1: Were you popular in school?
0: Yeah, I was quite popular. I think sport helped with that and um, did a lot of, like, performing arts, like, in the school play and stuff. So I I, I had a really amazing childhood and high school experience. If someone
1: was mean to you, you could just knock them over with your hockey stick.
0: (laughs) Yeah, potentially, yeah
1: the first line on your first record kind of got stuck in my head you, the first thing you're saying is scanning the space for a prompt card blank wall that's the opening line from heartless w- one of the songs
0: oh yeah on the first record and
1: i, I didn't really understand what a prompt card was un- until i looked it up it's like a, a card to with a helpful message
0: yeah so if you're reading a speech you'll have like a prompt card that has um, almost like an abbrevi- abbreviation or like a condensed version okay. of what you tried to say.
1: Okay, like like a memory card. To yeah, ha- like a memory card. Remote. Okay, but there, there are also prompt cards. If you Google it, it says that prompt cards are more like small, happy messages, like, you know, stay positive or some kind of... Um
0: yeah, yeah. I guess... Oh, it's so funny. I wrote that song so long ago. That's about... Um being with someone and not having the words to say, any words to say to them because you feel so hurt, and and looking around the room to try and get some inspiration for what to say to them. Yeah, that's quite a dark entrance to <laughs> an album. And, yeah, it's someone experiencing
1: hindsight. terrible loneliness and trying to get through the night. But yeah, for sure. And then your the first single from this new album that you're putting out is called "My Love Was Like the Rain." Yeah. And you reminisce about someone who compared you to who compared your love to the rain and the sea and the rose, beautiful metaphors, but then you're saying that this person meant quite negative things. Yeah. You said my love was like a rose, not the sweet bloom, but the pain as it scratches your hand. And by saying that your love was like the sea, this person didn't mean a big pool in the tropical, but you said I had the arctic inside of me. Yeah, But then you decide to embrace all of these things.
0: Honestly, I think that's the turning point that I had, you know, going into my 20s. There's kind of beauty in the reality of being a human, which is accepting the dark and the light and expect accepting that we're bad people and good people at the same time. And it's very dramatic and almost so typical of a young person to just be like, oh, it's so you know, so catastrophic or um, everything's so perfect. So I wanted to write a record that embraced that honesty and also demonstrated my um, acceptance of who I was as both a bad and a good person in equal measure, like we most are, most of us are.
1: (laughs) Did someone actually give you these very, you know, backhanded compliments?
0: Um, In a way, I guess this is my very poetic interpretation. I read this interview
1: with you where you talked about mental health and the way that medication didn't have a good effect on your songwriting. Yeah. Um, I've got many friends who are, you know, very afraid of... They might do drugs, but -hmm. they're super scared of trying medication for their problems because they feel that they will feel less.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can only talk from my personal experience, but getting support and being on medication for the period of time that I was on really helped me get through that stage and means that I'm in a, such a good place that I am today. But it also meant that I couldn't write in the same way because I felt like my massive emotional scale was being squashed. Um, and you almost need that, the extremes of the highs and lows in, or, in order to, to write some of the, the darkness and the light in your music. Yeah, I massively agree with them. It's, it's, it's difficult.
1: You said something really good in that interview about mental health. You said, "I'd actually, I'd actually rename creativity vulnerability. It's like your ability to be vulnerable and then sell it."
0: That's so that's, interesting. <laughs> that's yeah. a great quote. Thanks.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> it said so much about you know how the music industry works as well.
0: Yeah, huge. And how
1: you're, you're actually selling your hurt.
0: Yeah, since if you think about that too much, you can go slightly insane. I definitely put measures in. And when I go into the my studio, I purposely don't think about whether that track would be released or not. And I don't show all the songs that I've written until a certain point in time to the team that I have. So um, I try and eradicate that thought process of thinking about whether it's going to be a radio single or, you know, whether the label are going to think it's good enough or not. Um I try and work it out on my own till I get to a point and then hand it in.
1: Do you think that you need to feel something, you know, yourself in order to write about it?
0: Um, I think because the reason why I write is primarily a, like quite therapeutic. I go in and work out things that are in my mind that week, that that's how I feel. There's always something to write about because there's always something that I'm worrying about or excited about or thinking about.
1: I read this interview with uh, the songwriter Diane Warren. She's an American songwriter who's done, you know, loads and loads of huge rock ballads for Cher and Aerosmith and Beyonce. And anyway, she she was um, asked about why she's so good at writing about love, (laughs) to which she replied, I have no idea because I don't know what love is. I have lived alone my entire life. I have never been in love, but I have a good imagination. I have feelings, and I truly love my cat. I love that. So I, I guess for, for some people, you know, they can just imagine what it would be like.
0: I mean, sometimes I write from the point of view of the other person without even knowing what they're thinking. So I completely understand that. And you know, you have autistic license, you know, you can technically say say whatever you want. It can It can be the lie, it can be the truth people interpret things in different ways yeah for me i i, I use it as I'm, I'm all about honesty in my writing because because the process is so valuable to my my mental health and my happiness i think
1: it's like with the you know u two song one
0: no <laughs> you
1: know, two the, the irish band they, oh, they, yeah, they yeah. have a big ballad called one which is always played at weddings and it's a very beautiful ballad but it's actually super dark it's about that there's no hope for love whatsoever and people just choose not to listen to the lyrics well
0: yeah i find it really difficult when people listen to um hallelujah
1: yeah that's a super dark song as well yeah
0: so dark that's one of the ones where i'm like i feel like someone should tell them Um, This is Baby by Fortet, and it's coming out on his um, next record, which is called Sixteen Oceans, which comes out in March. I think it's the first single of the record.
1: What's that sample?
0: Um, It's Ellie Goulding. I'm trying to work out which song it is. I feel like it must be from, like, one of our early records. I'll have to do some research. Um but I chose this track because it's the it's the most recent one that he's released. I'm a huge fan of Fortet and his production and I'm really excited to see um the directions taken with this record.
1: He's really good at manipulating voices. Yeah, and using chopping out voices as instruments.
0: I'm I'm really into that. I try to do that quite a lot, especially in my new record that's coming out in March. Baby, you're
1: and your new single is called woman but you replaced the a with an x
0: yeah how come um, so it's it's quite a new spelling that's used a lot in the lgbtq community which is a community that I'm part of. And it's basically more sensitive um, and inclusive of trans women. Um, so it takes out the the A in man. There's a few universities that have started using it and like papers and magazines and stuff. So I just thought it was more forward facing. For me, it says woman plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's not an X, it's a plus. No, I mean, it, as in like all types of women, in- inclusive inclusiveness
1: okay so in what respect are you part of the lgbt community
0: i'm a queer individual a queer so individual yeah, okay. yeah so you
1: don't identify as a woman necessarily or
0: oh, no i identify as a woman oh, okay. that's my sexuality yeah. yeah my gender is a woman yeah
1: when you listen to that song it's a very you know uplifting danceable track but it's the lyrics are kind of um uh, it seems as if you went through a rough period when you wrote it in a way
0: I was talking about the period of time that I I took off and um, this is the first song that I wrote coming back after that time and I I wasn't in a very good place um, and I was very scared about going back into the studio for the first time and I I wrote this from the perspective of a version of me in the future which knew what to do and was much more confident Um, and then it's funny because now I sing it and it's my present and I am that confident person who I knew I'd be in the years down the line.
1: But you would be confident in your solitude, as it says on your arm?
0: Oh, yeah, in my solitude. In, in that's my, Duke Soli- Ellington.
1: It's that from Duke Ellington?
0: That was the first tattoo I got when I was 18.
1: Is that a song by him?
0: It, yeah, it goes, in my solitude, you hold me. It's like the line. So yeah,
1: you, you were very much into jazz? Or?
0: Um Yeah, my my granddad plays New Orleans jazz trumpet, so it was always like being played in the house and stuff. Also, like one of my mom's best friends is like an incredible jazz pianist. And so we were definitely indulged in in a lot of diverse music growing up.
1: What does your granddad think of your music?
0: He's really proud. Yeah, he loves it. He actually came to the show a few few weeks ago in London and, and was crying. So it was amazing to, um, yeah, to have him there. I got my eyes on you You're yeah, everything that I see I won't show high love and emotion Endlessly I can't get over you
1: Speaking of going to shows, uh, here's a track that Drake wanted to sing to you on stage
0: once. Oh my goodness, how do you know that? You act so different
1: Hold on, we're going home. Usually he brings someone up on stage to sing to during this track. Yeah. And he wanted to sing to you, but what happened that night?
0: I was 17, I think, and so my auntie wouldn't let me go up. And um,
1: Where was the concert?
0: It was in Liverpool. I'd somehow made friends with um, Drake's tour manager around that time. I think he messaged me because they were playing my music on the tour bus and he was like, oh, we're coming into Liverpool. Do you want tickets? I was like, yeah, I'd love to. So we got, like, passes. And, um, yeah, the bouncer just, like, picked me out to go to the front. And then my auntie just grabbed my arm and was like, you're not going back there. So, so
1: you're, your aunt was, was with you?
0: <laughs> yeah, I took my auntie.
1: She was your plus
0: one? <laughs> she was my plus one, yeah. I can see why she didn't let me go in in hindsight. Because I was so young. So she was but...
1: standing next to you and drake's tour manager comes up and
0: says, yeah and i was i was very dressed up i looked a lot older um i don't think i'd let my 17 year old like dress the way that i used to dress <laughs> but my auntie was taking me out not my mum, so i definitely put a lot more makeup on and wore some very risque clothes
1: okay and she wouldn't let you on stage
0: no (laughs) no so they picked another person so i yeah i could have been on there and i i'm such a massive drake fan marvin's room is is one of my favorite tracks of all time
1: And maybe you should have asked to you know do a duet with him instead
0: oh yeah that's the dream that's still on the cards hopefully
1: (laughs) you have a shell tattooed on your arm
0: oh yeah i've got i've got a seagull as well yeah the shell that's my seaside the hometown that's my dog peanut Yeah. And I've got a seagull. And a lot of
1: triangles to symbolize your connection to the Illuminati, I suppose.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, that's it. That's the the mark of approval. That means the physical earth, that one. Obviously, I was obsessed with
1: geography. (laughs) When my parents bought a CD player back in the mid-80s, CDs were so expensive that we only had one single CD. And I would play it over and over and when I listened to your first album, I, I just, I was like catapulted back to being an 11 year old listening to this track that I would play over and over. So, this is the vocal group Manhattan Transfer and their song uh, Operator, which you sampled.
0: Yeah. I really wanted to write a disco track because that was um, a massive part of like my youth um, and helping run that disco night. And I was working with Roddy McDonald who was the in-house um, engineer and producer at XL, and he was like, why don't we just sample a track and, and start there? So we were going through YouTube through loads of different tracks, and, and this one came up, and I was like, stop, that's the one. And then, um, yeah, just like cut up the track and then and then wrote it in a few days
1: people don't sample you know old songs as much as they used to because it's so expensive
0: yeah I can't believe they managed to clear it (laughs) but they did (laughs) the sample but they did and here we are and and then DJ Cosy did a remix and
1: Do you think that you'll write more dance tracks in the future or what direction do you think that you'll be heading in?
0: I think I'm going to make a lot of records in a lot of different genres. (laughs) Um, I don't feel restricted. I guess I feel restricted in the sense of the Lapsley project has, um, especially with this record that's about to come out, um, I feel like this is my present style. But I don't restrict myself and... I would definitely not cancel out starting other projects and going down other avenues.
1: Do you get tasked to do a lot of collaborations with other people?
0: Yeah, sometimes. I also um, write and produce for other people as well. I quite enjoy that. It's like a different thing to do in my week, (laughs) apart from like write for for myself. Yeah.
1: What about DJing? I would assume that would be something interesting for you to get into.
0: Yeah, I've got decks at home um, and I have a radio show as well once a month. And um, for like a local radio station in Liverpool, which I'm, you know, I've kind of kept like under the radar. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something that I'd want to go to go into in the future. But my, my heart is like in the studio, really.
1: How much clubbing do you do these days?
0: A lot less. <laughs> I feel like I have a lot less energy. I feel quite old for 23. I've been trying to have a look on Resident Advisor to try and put some more things into the diary and get and get back into going out. I guess when, because I was on tour for so long, I developed quite like an unhealthy relationship with with alcohol. And I, sometimes I find it quite stressful going to these events because of the pressures of like alcohol and drugs um, around me. Um, but I recently at Christmas went to um, a Hinge Finger event, which is Joy Orbison's label. And I was just completely sober till like four in the morning. So... And I had an amazing time. So that was a bit of a breakthrough in terms of my own confidence of going out. It's
1: actually pretty nice to be sober in clubs. I've noticed that once you get past like, you know, one or two o'clock in the morning, you know, everyone who has been drinking the entire night will be tired or on drugs. Yeah. But, but if you ha- haven't been drinking, you know, you can basically keep going. Yeah. You get or just you, almost you have, like, a
0: bit wired off the music. It's really bizarre. Yeah, and,
1: and then you like if you have a cup of coffee or something, Mm-hmm you can um, keep going <laughs> yeah and then when you get home you, you get you know a very nice buzz yeah
0: yeah i think there's there's gonna be a new kind of a new wave of people going out sober that's what i'm hoping
1: sober clubbing
0: yeah Standing in the door of the B-
1: before i heard of you the only thing i knew about the southport right. was uh, this singer mark Ullman
0: it was a kind of so so love say
1: hello wave goodbye by soft Cell it's I right.
0: love that track so much it's <laughs> one of the
1: most mesmerizing breakup songs of all time Had
0: to be the standing choke of the year you were asleep yeah he's from Southport he's from from Southport and (laughs) and then he
1: moved and he went to art college in uh, Leeds I think but do you have like a statue of him in the town square
0: no we don't I don't think a lot of people know that that he came from Southport definitely my mum's generation um, when they all went to school in the early 80s that it was it was huge
1: I tried to track down the pink flamingo that he's singing about but
0: i don't have a clue i I should probably ask my dad it
1: it wasn't in southport i think it was this club in soho but shut down down in like the 60s so it was before mark olman's time as well
0: oh (laughs) wow
1: What other singers inspire inspiring
0: you? I'm massively into Kate Bush and the theatre of Kate Bush and um, the poeticness of her lyrics. And I wish I got to go to that performance that she did last year in London. I couldn't get tickets. I feel like everybody else managed to get tickets. It was so frustrating.
1: People were ready to kill for tickets for I, that show. Yeah, I
0: was <laughs> ready to do a lot. Maybe not that far. Um, but that... Yeah, and I love Joni Mitchell as well. I'm... Um, I definitely have a. When it comes to singers, I have a preference for the people who are very um, visual with their lyrics.
1: Visual. Yeah, as in they they paint pictures. Yeah,
0: strong images.
1: And how do you know that you've come up with a strong image yourself when writing?
0: Um, I guess in a way you don't really know until the song's out in the world as to which sections are the strongest. Sometimes it's very hard to look at your own work objectively. (laughs) I guess like I naturally write in a lot of metaphors. And I feel like there are really good vehicles for people to apply their own situations into. Ese gritalito roto Yo sentí como crujía Antes de caerse a suelo Yo sabía que se rompía Está parpadeando La luz del cancillo, Una voz de la escalera Alguien cruzando el pasillo Malamente um, this is Malamente by Rosalia from the first section of her first record called Ogorio which means Omen. And
1: she's a singer from Barcelona, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, from Catalan. <laughs>
1: I love her videos. Oh, they She's done amazing. a lot of uh, you know videos with strange, surreal. Like bullfighting, matadors, and things like that.
0: Yeah, she's like taken some really strong classic, like Spanish imagery, and and brought it into like a modern context. And I've I've had a look at a lot of the like translations to her lyrics, and she talks almost like quite classically. She talks about like gypsy stories and um, and romance in a very like old-fashioned way very pure almost like Shakespeare in in a way and yeah I think I think it's like nothing yeah I've ever heard
1: what are your plans for the summer
0: oh I've got um the record through water comes out in March um, which has been like the, yeah I spent the last two years creating so I'm really excited to promote that and I'll be touring and um, playing a lot of festivals so it's gonna be a really busy year.
1: What does the sleeve look like for the record?
0: Oh it's incredible so I um, it's a shot of me underwater um, struggling I've'm in all of my clothes and the way that the photo was taken I, I had to jump off of a massive platform with weights around my, my waist and my ankles um, into a massive film tank and then they shot it from the side. And I sink quite deep and it, it took a long time to be able to get to the surface. So it was almost like a stunt shot.
1: That sounds like almost suicidal.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to come across like I was being suspended within something and I wanted to show that honesty of of struggle and calmness. And I think water perfectly encapsulates that.
1: And you're yeah. a good swimmer?
0: yeah i'm a good swimmer
1: yeah yeah and you also have a boat right you
0: yeah i've got i mean i've got rid of the boat now but i used to sail a lot when i was a teenager thank you very much for having me
1: thank you lapsley for um, appearing on this podcast it was a true pleasure having you here so um good luck with everything happy say what do you say happy sailing happy sailing (laughs) 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 sail away sail away thank (laughs) Thank you. you Den här podcasten producerades av Lejon Media. Producent var Daniel Bäckström och Lapsley var hemma